Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. So thank you all for being here this morning. Welcome anybody online this morning. Um, you, if you're visiting with us, you're stepping into a, uh, a series we uh, have been uh, in for quite a while now in the book of Revelation. So we're in chapter 18 of book of Revelation. So I, uh, I've got a, a lot to throw your way. It's Palm Sunday. And yes, I'm going to connect Palm Sunday with Revelation 18 <laughs> this morning. So uh, and I, in a minute, I'm going to have lots of questions for us up on the screen. Just something new. Going to go through those. Just encourage you to write them down and take them, think about them. Uh, in this uh, in this process, but to get us started, Palm Sunday, um, the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. This is the week before his passion. It was passion beginning of the Passion Week, and uh, before he went to the cross and then raised on Sunday. Uh, and most of you know the story that he uh, went to ask for, they got a donkey for him and he rides in. Not a very glorious, powerful position of a reigning king coming in to Zion, to Jerusalem, God's city, right? To reign. And you know, the, the people started breaking out palm. This is why usually if you, how many of you grew up with, you know, this, this weekend, palm branches in your hand, you know, and um, Laying him down as he came in. Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Uh, singing praise to the coming king. The problem was there was this great confusion among people. It's like, wait a minute, this doesn't look like a reigning king because they wanted, right, a political powerful ruler, right, to usher in. And that was not the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. He came to usher in, right, the kingdom of God that is alive and well through the spirit of God, not by power or might, but by the power of the spirit um, through what he did on the cross for us to change hearts, that the kingdom of God would first take hold in the hearts of people. And we're in a season of grace right now, where as you walk out these doors, don't miss that verse above, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, and the evangelion is the Greek word, the good news. This was actually technical language used of a king that after he conquered, would come in, good news, um, and uh, Jesus took this language to speak about his coming kingdom. It's good news, right? It's, it's salvation for the whole soul and the whole life. And so Jesus ushered in the kingdom. He began his church. The church's role in the world is to expand the kingdom of God, which is this good news of grace into the hearts and lives of every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world um, until Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, uh, he is going to come not on a donkey, but he's going to come with the armies of heaven. And he will come and bring his kingdom from heaven. Remember Ephesians 1 tells us the ultimate purpose of Jesus and God is to unite all things in heaven on earth. Coming back to Eden again. God's desires is that we would dwell with him. There wouldn't be this divide between heaven and earth that is there today because of all the way back to the garden, right? Adam and Eve cast out because of sin. And that sin is a part of all of mankind. And we don't have to go too far in uh, world issues right now to see the magnitude of, of that sin repeating itself over and over again, money, power, right, that uh, takes hold of, of people and governments and nations and, you know, and it has 
wreaked havoc, right, in our world, and it will continue to wreak havoc, right? The book of Revelation, those are all birth pains. What's going on in the Ukraine right now, right, is just a birth pain showing we are broken people. We're in need, right, of a Savior. And we're in need that no matter how much politics, no matter how much work we do, and we should, don't get me wrong, we need to be all involved, right, is that we can never bring a healthy kingdom. The world itself is, is not capable of bringing a healthy world kingdom to bear. Uh, that will only come when Jesus comes. And when he comes back again, he will come with the armies of heaven and he will bring judgment upon the kingdoms of this world. And um, so Revelation, again, we've talked about this, is that the only way you can understand this is if you bring all of the Old Testament into it. Again, I've said this several times before. If you've you know, gone and you know, watched Left Behind or some of these other schemes of mankind, hey, that's cool. Look at those things. But the, only, the real way to interpret Revelation is you've got to understand everything in Revelation has already been prophesied in the Old Testament. And you've got to bring it in to have an understanding right, of what's um, going on here uh, right, for the, uh, the future of what God is going to do. So this morning, we're going to talk about God and money. And you might say, wait a minute, what? This is, just seems radical because there's two uh, systems in the world. Now, if you miss everything else I say, I hope you'll take this statement right here. This statement right here, um, it will help you understand the entire story of the Bible. It's going to help you understand the book of Revelation. It's going to help you understand Jesus' mission in this world, where it's going, where it started, where it's going to go to. There are two systems in the world. The world itself and its currency is money. And the ruler of that kingdom, the kingdom of the world, is Satan himself. And uh, this has been uh, from the beginning to the end, right? All of scripture upholds that, right? The world itself, and 1 John says, what is the world? The world is the lust of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. The idea that we, all the way back to the beginning, Tower of Babel, or however far back you want to go, that we can build a system, we can build a political platform, or whatever it is that we can usher in, right, and accomplish things without God's hand, um, never has happened, never will, and um, until Jesus returns. And that world system, behind that system, its currency, right, is money and power. And the ultimate power ruler of the world system is, is the devil. And, uh, you know, again, if you've been with us in this series, this is all very the Antichrist, the one rule, ru- ruler that's coming. We live in a spiritual realm. All of these things, unfortunately, as Westerners, many of us, even going to church, is we, do, we, we have a more of a material view of the world. And you'll never understand the truth of God's word without a spiritual, supernatural world view of things. I just take you back to Luke chapter 4. And when uh, Jesus was <clears throat> taken to the desert for his temptation, before he began his ministry, remember Satan came to him with three temptations. One of them was he took him right out to the wilderness and he showed him, took him on a high mountain or wherever it was, showed him that it says the kingdoms of the world. And he told Jesus, you bow to me and I'll give you because they're mine. Right? And so we could see multiple places. First John says, right, that the kingdoms of the world, they're all under his power. Um, and that goes all the way back to the garden. Again, when Adam and Eve forfeited their dominion and took again, instead of thinking we can do this on our own, we can do it better than God. Um, and the Tower of Babel as well. We talked about those kind of things in this series. If you want to go back and, and listen to that. The other system is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, its currency is faith. And its ruler is Jesus. There is no middle ground here. 
right? And this might just pop a bubble in your idea of America. There is no middle ground, right? And I'm a patriot. Again, I say it all the time. Don't get me wrong. When he'd be heavily involved for good in all levels of politics and everything, wherever country we live in, but we have to have a proper biblical understanding of how the world works and how the nations work and uh, how the kingdom of God works. And God doesn't share his kingdom with any nation in the world, right? Um, except maybe Israel, which we'll, we've talked about that in the, in the past, right? Because obviously he's going to bring the new Jerusalem down. Jesus' feet will plant on the Mount of Olives, just like he left from there. The book of Acts tells us, right? And so this kingdom of God, what is it? And remember, Jesus told us the kingdom of God, he inaugurated it. It means he launched it into history. And it's by the Spirit. It's not by power, it's by the Spirit. And, and it's by the coming together of God's people in church through discipleship and the mission, carrying out the, the, the glorious good news of Jesus. Until he returns, being faithful in this world. What does he say? Praying for his disciples says, Lord, I don't ask you to take them out. I ask you to make them, protect them from the evil one. Right, Help them be in the world, but not of the world. Right, Because we have to live in this world where the currency is money, where the ruler is the devil, right, and where the world systems and nations are raging. And as we get to the end, right, we know the scripture tells us that, that all the nations will come together again and be hostile to the kingdom of God. Um, and again, I, I, we could go throughout history and just to see, right, what happens when man gets power, power, money, money, right, and everything else throughout the history of the world. They are hostile to the things of God. And uh, what's happening in our own country right now, right? This, this, is, this is, it's all here. It's all happening in front of you. It's just a question of looking up and embracing the truth of God, right, um, for what it is. And so these are the two systems that are gonna, going to clash, is that Jesus is coming with the kingdom of God, and he's going to bring judgment upon the kingdom of the world. Chapter 18 of Revelation is, talks about the judgment upon when Jesus returns, and this will happen actually before his return, or right around the same time, is that God is going to judge um, Babylon. Now, the mystery of Babylon, Babylon the Great, all through, whether you go back to Daniel in the Old Testament, through the book of Revelation, we've been talking about this, is that's language used for the world system. The great city we're going to talk about is this, the coming together of, of a conglomerate. It's probably one main city, but some multiple cities around the world that have given in fully to the kingdom of the world. Um, it's nothing new under the sun. As I said, go back to the Tower of Babel, go back to Genesis 11. You see, right, the same thing. And any city that's been built in America, it's built with this same pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, all of the things that are counter to the kingdom of God are all heavily there. And uh, so we need wisdom. How do we live in the midst of that and not be of it? And we'll see here as we read in, in Revelation 18, as God again calls us out, always calling us out. In other words, be separate. You got to live there, but be separate. Don't be conformed to the world, right? Paul says, be transformed, right? By the renewal of your mind according to biblical truth. And um, so with that said, I want to just uh, kind of give us a little uh, background into, uh, before we get into um, God and money. So, God and money. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? He says you cannot serve God and money. He is real clear on that. You can't serve one or the other. You're either going to be enslaved to one or enslaved to the other. And uh, again, that is under the context of the two kingdoms. 
You're either a child of the kingdom of God because the spirit of God has saved you and adopted you. And Colossians says rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of the son. The kingdom of God. Or you are a child of this world and, and completely in bondage to the things right, of this world. Now before we get into this let me just say we're all wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth. It is what I do with my wealth. It's what I, is my wealth is serving me. As I subject it by, with my faith to God, or am I serving my wealth? It's all a matter of stewardship. Ultimately, in First Timothy chapter six, um, Paul gives great exhortation to Timothy as he pastors his church to exhort the rich, to exhort the wealthy, to understand where their wealth comes from, and that it doesn't—it's not always a blessing. Is that it takes a great stewardship, right? And to make sure that it does not cause, uh, he, he lays out in pretty great details about the results of, of that wealth or just the desire to be rich, right? Is, is, is a dangerous thing, he says. He says the root, one of the roots of evil, right, is um, the desire to be rich, is money itself. Money is not evil itself, but the desire for it, right, is what's money. Again, where the powers of the world, the powers of my flesh engage, the powers of my eyes desiring and my pride of life. And we all know, we wrestle with this, every one of us, every single day, don't we? This clash of the kingdoms, my desire for something. What am I going to think on? What's consuming me? What I'm, where's my security? Versus faith and the kingdom of God. It's one or the other. We know this battle well, all of us, right? And we're called out of that. We're called to be people of faith, ultimately, um, in this journey. And um, so what about faith? I go back to this idea of faith as currency. And again, I'm just going to give you a couple things here to write down. First Timothy, or excuse me, First Peter 1, 7 um, says that your faith, it's, 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 a, it's beyond the treasure of gold. It, your faith, in other words, and Ephesians 2 says, faith is a gift that God has given to you so you can believe him. And it's not some static thing that I think a lot of us have grown up under like, oh, my faith, uh, faith that's just what I believe. I believe this or I believe that. It's so much bigger than that. And it is to grow. It is to be exercised. It is to grow. And in Matthew um, 17, Jesus said, right, if you have faith of mustard seed, you can save that mountain right there, what? Move. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying clearly faith is not to be static. It is to be exercised, right? And moved and were to expand. And Jesus over and over again, whether it's the parables of others, he asks the question, uh, he always says, but are you rich towards God? Are you rich? You might have all your barns full thinking you're prepared for inflation or whatever, but are you rich towards God? Do you have the currency of faith and steadfastness and strength, right, to to hold on, right, to him as your treasure, your ultimate treasure, right? Faith and money, how those, and obviously, when it comes to money and just resources, right, the, the key of the spiritual life is, boy, am I learning to submit my desires, submit my resources to God, right? To let his will be done, right, in the, in the process, all right, so with that said, let's get into Revelation 18. I'm going to read this, a long chapter. I'm just going to read it. I'll make a couple of comments as we go along. But this is the destruction of Babylon. This is the destruction of this world system that we just read about. The world and its money and its power. 
Chapter 17, the Antichrist, who is going to rally, which we've looked at this last, or a couple weeks ago, rally the nations of the world together uh, in the end. Uh, there'll be this great, he'll be a charismatic, amazing leader, going to solve peace issues, going to solve economic issues. He, it says he is so, and, and he's going to also be able to operate in signs and wonders. So he's going to actually blend politics and spirituality like nobody, the apostate church, like nobody ever on the face of the earth has done. So much so that Jesus says, even the elect, could be deceived. It'll be extreme deception. He will operate incredible signs and wonders and miracles. Who's not going to want to follow a person like that kind of power? Not just political power, able to solve many of the world's issues, but spiritual power, this welding together. And he will, as that system comes together, it will move itself to, um, you could call it a new world order. Um, you, it's going to move itself, right, towards and be more and more hostile to the things of God, the people of God, and the church of God. Um, to this clash and we know the whole book of revelation is uh we see the church we see followers of jesus under persecution and remember jesus was real clear we don't fight with sword the kingdom of god is not advanced through the sword the kingdom of god is advanced by faith right and by loving our enemies by sacrificially laying our, our lives down like jesus did for the love of god and that is what, as the end comes, more and more of the church around the world, all tribes and nations are going to uh, face that kind of uh, tribulation. And, uh, and it will be this question of steadfastness. Are we holding on? Well, we don't see God moving. Are we going to be steadfast? Are we going to be true to our faith to hold on to Him, what He has promised? Um, or is the pressure of the world going to get too much? And I'll come back to that here in a minute but here's revelation chapter 18 oh so the antichrist is going to have this and at some point so he harnesses this whole world system the end of chapter 17 he turns on the system god uses the antichrist to bring judgment on babylon this great city and the economic system and everything else because um the antichrist exalts himself the antichrist will move to a place where he will demand worship actually um from the world and you say, well, that's just so silly. I'd never do that. Folks, that's exactly through the history of time. The Roman Empire, it moved that way, right? Towards emperor worship before the fall, right? Where Rome demanded. So John is writing this letter from Patmos. He's about 90 years old. And he's writing it back to the churches in modern day Turkey, right? The, at the, the church in Asia. And at that point was, is that Rome had moved into this thing where not only were they the Pax Romana, the greatest nation in the world, you know, the most powerful one and, and the one who could hold peace, right, and everything, but the emperor started demanding worship. And that worship looked like you had to go into a temple of some kind, throw a little incense and say, um, the emperor is Lord. And that's all he had to do. And what was he's writing, right, realizing that the church was struggling on this, was struggling to stand firm because if you didn't, it had radical economic and even physical consequences if you did not honor the, uh, the king as, as Lord. And so we know the end will go that way. I mentioned it before, North Korea, he demands worship from his people, adoration from his people. So this isn't something like, don't be singing rather going, oh, no, no, it's here with us. It's always been in the world, more than you'd ever, ever realize. And where does power have to go? You can take more land. You can move in, take, I want Ukraine. I want the, this and, you know, whatever. But the ultimate, right, in power is to say that, hey, I'm, I'm going to take, I want spiritual power. I, I want to be God, basically. This goes back to the garden, doesn't it? What was the enemy's first lie? Yeah, come on. So God's holding back on you. 
You can be God, right? And, that, and folks, it's, it's amazing to me the people who reject God is, by rejecting God, you've basically said you are God. By rejecting God, you're saying you are God. That you're willing to go into eternity and live your life, right? What? That you can do it on your own. You don't need him. You don't need God, right? Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every unclean spirit, a haunt of every unclean bird, a haunt of every unclean and detestable beast. You take this language, it's pulled straight from the Old Testament. This means it is a demonically infused city. In other words, the cities of the world, there'll be this greater awakening of the spirit realm and a greater embrace of things spiritual and sorcery and and uh, things of uh, of darkness for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality we talked about sexual immorality is not just rejecting god's design for sex and family and, and his creator order but it's actually right adulterating ourselves to other idols other things rather than god who who um, longs to have us in a loving relationship right with him and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from her power of her luxurious living. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. That is the central part of this chapter. Again, God is always calling, right? He called to begin, right, the, the line of the Messiah. He called Abraham out of a pagan Ur the Chaldees to become his people that he could bless, right? Um, if you know Jesus, he called you out of your life situation. He called you out of uh, the place you were in the world to be, right, one with him, right, to be redeemed and saved. And he's continuing to call us out and being set apart. This word in the Bible, sanctification, is to be sanctified, set apart, holy as unto God. Um, that is what he all constantly is calling his people to do. And let's just face it, all during late, we're getting hit all day long with the things of the world on your TV, on your, all the, that's on your, uh, our devices, right? It is constantly pulling us into the things of the world. There's a constant, right? More than you'd ever realize. And God is saying, no, I'm calling you to myself, right? Be set apart. We got to be in the world. Doesn't mean we need to be of it. We need to be learned to live set apart, right? From the world itself. For her sins are heaped high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion of her in the cup she's mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a, a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as queen. I'm no, I'm no widow. And mourning sorrow I shall not see. Uh, for this reason her plagues will come in a single day. This pride of life that just exalts the nation's leaders' systems that exalt themselves, right? To say, we've got it. We are the, this is nothing near the sons. What Nebuchadnezzar did with the first Babylon, exalted himself in God's judgment. There was a time where that sin went up, a rejection of God's plans. And I'm just going to say it as clear as I can, but the America, we are on the verge of getting what we deserve. Clearly, God never lets a nation continue to reject his way his created order his blessing without judgment coming it's coming it's just a matter of time right and um 
And you, we read this and you, you start to think, well, what nation, what cities, right, could this be right today? It could be many cities right today. Or nations of what we are more consumed with than we'd ever realize. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. And she would be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth, this is a global thing, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will stand far off and the fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth... Um, businessmen and women will weep and mourn for her since no one um, buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen. I could go through the whole list. It just lists everything. But I want to get down to the bottom. Verse 13. Cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves and human souls. Right? This system will um, enslave and traffic in human souls. We'll get more into that another week. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters, the seafaring men, sailors, all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they wept and mourned and cried, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships to sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And then a mighty angel took up a stone like a millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence. And we found no, vo- no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, flute players, trumpeters will be heard in them no more. Craftsmen or any craft will be found no more. Uh, the sound of a mill will be found no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who've been slain on earth. The word of God. Wow. That's a lot, huh? You see this this clash? I mean, I hope in reading that you can just see in great detail, right, the kingdom of the world and, 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 and its sorcery, its deception, right? It's constantly, right, bidding you, bidding me to come and to put our hope in its wares and its desires and its things. Rather than, right, see faith, right? And nurture our faith. And so what I want to do here in closing is I, ho- I have a whole bunch of questions. And I hope you'll write them down or whatever. Take a picture and just think on these. Maybe not all of them. Just take a few. But uh, just for us to just like open our hearts to the Spirit of God and just be honest. Lord, where am I at on this? And, uh, and to really evaluate truly in these two systems, man, how, 
Am I free from the, from this, the worldly kingdom? And is my faith engaged? Am I growing? And folks, there's nothing I, I think that's happened in all my years of ministry that's more heartbreaking for me than what's happening right now in the church in America of people moving towards spiritual apathy and moving from apathy moves. If it doesn't get renewed, it moves to apostasy real quick. And it's happening at a level I've never seen, nobody's seen in our nation before. And uh, folks, it, this is what the scripture said. What does Jesus say in Matthew 24? Is that many will fall away. Many will fall away. And folks, it's because I f- start just getting apathetic. And if you get apathetic and move away from God's people, is the world will take over. There is no other gray area. There's no other option outside of revival, right, inside our hearts. So let me just throw some questions out for us. Why did our forefathers come to America? God or money? Just something to think about, right? I'm just throwing a few in here that are just kind of fun to think about. Why is in God we trust on our coins? Hmm. Is that true of our nation? Is that true of our systems of government? Is that true for the laws that we are voting in across and pushing across our nation? Are we trusting God? Why do people come to America today? Why do people come here? Hmm. Is it the land of the free? Is it to worship freely? Or is it to get a job and get rich? What do we choose to do with the Sabbath and Sunday? Do you know we live in a Judeo-Christian culture? That's why we have a weekend. Do you know that the Saturday is off because Saturday is the Sabbath? It's never changed. Saturday is always the Sabbath. From the beginning of time for the created order, it's Saturday. Um, Sunday is the first day of the Lord. And the early believers, they would, that were all Jewish, they would still uh, celebrate the Sabbath. But then on Sunday morning early, the day of the Lord, which was the first day of the week, they would gather early and worship as the church. As they got kicked out of the church and as more Gentiles came into the church, the Sabbath was... Um, you know, they, they were free. And there was, you know, with the gospel and the Jesus fulfilling the law is you were free to, you didn't have to follow all these Sabbath laws. But that didn't mean we didn't still need to honor it, right? And so in other words, the Sabbath, this has been a real convicting one for me, is do I believe that I can work, right, a, su- a Sunday through a Friday or whatever it is and, and trust the Lord to disengage on the Sabbath and rest in Him, truly rest. And come on Sunday, the day of the Lord, and be with God's people and embrace and fellowship, right? What's driving, though, my decision about that? It's God or money, right? What do I, who do I work for? You ever think about that? Who do you really work for? Because I know in my own you know, realm and experience is that, man, when I get refocused, that ultimately I work for God. Man, that just changes, that, that brings a sense of integrity in the sense of how I respond to certain situations, right? Who do I really work for? And ultimately, who am I ultimately going uh, to be responsible to, right? God or money? What do I fear losing more? Ah, oh. Wow. What, I mean, this is just, if I have to be really on, you know, it's so funny. As I'm putting these together this week and thinking about it, man, even that question right there, putting it together, uh, my brain, like the next day, I'm like consumed by, wow, man, 
Wait, do I have enough saved? I'm old, getting old. I mean, you know, you just these things that it's the world takes over, right? Lord, I, do I trust you really? Right? Or am I more consumed by money? Man, what gives me joy? Can, you, can we really answer that question? What gives me joy? Real joy. Is it a promotion? Is it a windfall? Is it buying a new house? Is it getting a new car? I mean, what really gives me joy? Man. Nehemiah said, what the strength of the Lord is, is the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Joy of the Lord. Big question. Where's my security? Hmm. Especially now with inflation and everything going on in the world. I mean, really, what's my security? Can I answer that question with faith? All right. Now, just giving these questions, do you, you kind of see these two kingdoms as they were? Do you see more clearly the kingdom of the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, warring against the kingdom of God, the currency of faith and the promises of God? What do I primarily think about? Oh, man. I mean, what do I primarily think about? Things of the world? And I, you know, again, this is pretty common sense, but it, man, if I'm surfing, if I'm, what do you call it, swiping and doing my Instagram, if I'm whatever, you, you know what? The world's going to take over. If my news feed is primarily Wall Street Journal, um, which I think is a relatively good feed, um, if that's it, though, if that's the primary thing, the world's going to take over. Right? What controls my giving to Jesus' church? Man, giving. What's controlling my giving? Is it God? Am I listening to God to do what He commands me to do? Or do I have all kinds of excuses because I got whatever? I don't know. God or money, it's tough, isn't it? What do I study more? What do I study more? What am I giving? What am I, you know, I, I, most of us, uh, you know, we're in Aspen, so most of us have a college education. Well, that took a lot of money. It took a heck of a lot of time. But if I'm a, a child of the kingdom of God, am I, how much am I giving myself to study his word, the truth of the kingdom? Right? Big stuff. Man. What motivates me? That's deep water, isn't it? I mean, can I honestly answer what really motivates me? Now, I don't think it's wrong for money to motivate me, but boy, I got to be careful with that, though, don't I? Get to below the surface. Why does money motivate me, right? Um, it's deep water. But then the, maybe a deeper question is, how does God motivate you? How does the Spirit, in other words, if I don't know His Word, if I haven't studied His Word, if I don't know the promises of God, I don't know what I'm, I'm going for. I don't know what I'm seeking, right? Seek first, what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus says, and all these other things, the things we think we need, God prompt. you know, that's the most radical promise there is. That's a promise of Jesus, I mean, anyone with faith is if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, he promised he'll take care of you. Whoa. Talk about living in freedom. The question is, wow, how do I do that? How do I seek first the kingdom of God, right? It has to be fleshed out in discipleship. And finally, the biggie. Man, who do I love? 
And I think for me, as I look at this, I, I can't come to this and say, oh, no, God, I love you more than money. If I haven't been able to answer all those previous questions in the affirmative, I can't come here and say, oh, no, I do love you, God. Right? It's deep water, isn't it? Man. I just give those to you to think about. Let, let the Spirit of God work on you. Work on your soul. Um, we have grown up, folks, in a, in a day and age, just, just called a therapeutic age, where we've been so conditioned, our children have been so conditioned to a fluffy, look, we've got to make you feel good. We've got to affirm you all the time, right? Um, do you know that, that, that the main thing of the scripture is that I need to be willing to be convicted. The only way I'm going to grow, the only way that faith is going to rise as a currency in my life, and I'm going to see God move powerfully, is if I'm willing for the Word of God and the Spirit of God to radically convict me. And when I go through those questions, go, Lord, I repent, forgive me. I'm changing right my way of, of this, thinking on this, doing this, whatever it is. And I, I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to line my life up with your word. There is no way to grow outside of, of that. And where is that in our culture today? Where is the, the, the place for the most powerful thing that our children need is to be convicted that that is wrong. And that you need integrity in your life or you need character in your life or you need to step up and be, right, a person of integrity. We're so busy coddling you know what? Man, we're sending people straight down to the world. Just in bold and, and in bondage to the things of the world, right? In other words, church, the idea of following Jesus, folks, is, uh, I mean, just follow Jesus, man, his number one guy. Man, he thought he was like building him up. And Jesus turned to him and said, Satan, get behind me. You're focused on the things of the world, not the things of God. Wasn't soft, wasn't easy. It was like, boom, Right? And Jesus constantly does that. And, and we have not modeled that, right? Well, in a loving, right? Truth and love, um, in a way. And um, so I should give you these things. Because a faith, I, I, faith is not going to grow without conviction. You can't coddle faith alive. Um, it takes radical conviction. It takes me just from the core of my being, Lord, I, not just I'm sorry, but Lord, I repent. I'm going to make a change in my life according to what your word says. I'm going to line myself up with what your word says, right? So just in conclusion, I want to give you two verses that um, I've been just meditating on. And folks, I think these two verses, want, the first one is in John 16, verse 33. I think these two verses, folks, they go so beautifully together. Um, and I think they're so applicable for everything going on right now in our culture, in the world, you could even say. Um, but I, they've, they've just been richly strengthening my faith. And this is uh, John sixteen thirty three. These are Jesus' words. It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now he's talking to the disciples and go back and read the whole chapter. But that in me, in Christ, that you may have peace. In other words, he's said his word. He's given this so we might have peace. We might be in it and that it might bring us peace into relationship with Jesus and be at peace. In the world, Jesus says, you will have, not might, you will have tribulation. You will. And if you're going to faithfully be a person of the kingdom, you will have tribulation. But here's the good news. But take heart, he says. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the desires of the flesh. I've overcome the desires of the eyes. I've overcome the pride of life, right? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I've overcome all that. Lean into me. 
I'll give you peace. I'll give you victory, right? Now, how do we do that? Go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. Listen to this. This is just awesome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Here's the battle, right? There isn't somebody who's a child of God who doesn't overcome the world. What Jesus says in in the end, there'll be those who think, who by their words, they're Christians and everything, but they will fall away to the world. Because under that tribulation, under that test, they're going to cave in to the temptation of the world and become apostates. Right? And we see this all through the scripture. And folks, I, again, just hear my heart on this because I just think it's so important because, again, we've been so coddled with so much, even with the gospel. We have coddled people with the gospel. What do I mean by that? We've coddled people with this idea that, hey, you know what? You can walk the aisle. You can say the prayer. You can receive Jesus. And by the way, you can continue to live however you want because his grace is there to cover you. That is nowhere in the Bible. But that is a very quick way of saying kind of this gospel light that so permeates out here. Is no, Jesus calls us to overcome. And that means we need to continually be holding tight, right, to his grace and his goodness, right, in our life. Um, Otherwise, the world takes over, right? But listen to this. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Did you get that? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Right? It's our faith. The currency of the kingdom of God. And your faith, my faith, is not just something that I, you know, it's just, yeah, that's my, my faith. No, it was given to you supernaturally, sovereignly, beautifully, right? Um, by God, Ephesians 2 makes that very clear. And we are to steward that faith. We're to grow that faith from a mustard seed. And that means stepping out on the things of God and pressing in to the things of darkness and the things of the world and, and making a difference, being salt and light. It means unrobing ourselves from the things of the flesh, Paul talks about, and clothing ourselves with the things of God, right? Does that make sense, gang? The victory is our faith. And, and there is levels of faith. Let's not play around here. The faith is not just like, oh, I've got faith, or oh, I just profess Jesus. No, I've got to exercise that thing. And this is why we gather, folks. You'll come on up. This is why we gather to encourage each other, to stoke faith. We come and we gather and worship because what should happen in a healthy gathering of believers is faith should rise. As we start praying for healing, faith should rise to claim the promises of God for each other and for one another, right? Faith should rise in the sense of setting our eyes on the kingdom of God and what he has for how much he loves us and and all those things. Because guess what? We all get beat up out there in the world. We get beat up. And then we get, we get you know, kind of clung on to, right, by the things of the world, the lies, the deception, everything else. We start putting our security, everything else, all the questions we just went through. We need a time when you gather, it's a time where discipleship is even a deeper press into these things so that we unshed those things. Faith comes alive again. And again, we see, oh, the treasure of this gospel, the treasure of this salvation, right, that God has for us. And we stoke and encourage each other, right? And as the time gets close, that's why Hebrews says, as the time gets close, do not forsake gathering together, especially as you see the day of the Lord coming. 
Because the deception will increase. The battle of the world will increase. We need each other, right? We need each other. So, Father, thank you for your word. And, Lord, I pray that you'll just um, convict us, Holy Spirit. Change us. Transform us, God. Encourage us, God. Lord, this is why we gather. This is why we love each other. Is all the one another's. We bear one another's burdens. We, we help strengthen one another. We need each other. Lord, uh, because, Lord, this is hard. This tribulation, this is hard. Living in this world, Lord, um, being set apart for you is hard. Lord, it's much easier pleasing man than it is pleasing you. We need help. We need faith to rise, Lord. Pray that your spirit will come and do that, Lord. Renew your church. Renew your people. Lord, revive us. In this time, Lord, you are our treasure. Above all things, Lord. Make us a people, Lord, that can honestly say like so many in the New Testament and all those in the book of Revelation that will say one day Lord, um, to whoever, you can take whatever you want. But I'm going to have Jesus. doesn't matter what you take from me, you, you can take it. But I've got Jesus. And no one can take. John 10 says, no one can snatch you out of the hands of Jesus. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand when He's your treasure. Right? When He's your treasure. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.